0: All right, cool. thank you. To to you All right, we're in business. Um, in trying to get this to work, I am the least techie human you will ever lay eyes on. So I had a friend help me put this together for this week, and uh, she's going to be pushing the button because I left my remote in my office up in Parker where I live. So she, she is this lovely remote right here. <laughs> um, this is the work, uh, the organization that I lead and have for 33 years. Um, it is a mentoring organization. We have worked with men and women from literally around the globe. And even in a week, that's what I do. I am very thankful for the technology that some of the guys that I mentor have helped me understand that I can push this button and that button. If it's more than three in a row, I'm done. But I get to Skype with emerging leaders literally from around the globe. Um, this next week, I look at where my schedule is gonna take me. It's gonna take me to Ecuador. It's gonna take me to Norway. It's gonna take me to New Zealand. It's then several states, and I get to hang with some men and women right here. What I need to know very quick as we get started is who was not here last week? If I could see your hands. Oh my gosh. It's a whole new crowd. Okay, I am so glad in the handout that uh, Judy... There's two handouts. There's one that's a meditation that I'm going to let you leave with. And uh, the other has a front page on it um, that is just very, very good. Terry was saying when we were talking about the handouts, that she didn't have them from last week. And so there was handouts that somehow disappeared. We had extras. And did you ask them about the, the emails when I wasn't listening to your introduction? Okay. But at the end of the handout for today, you have two blank pieces of paper. If for those of you who have, were not here last week, if you were here last week, raise the hands of here, people last week, okay? Okay, good enough. So I've got your email addresses, correct? And I've been sending you things throughout the week, especially from a spiritual, biblical standpoint, because what we talk about has God at the core, God at the center of what we're doing. And I'm not going to go all the way through last week's time. We will need to, I'll catch you up in some emails so that we can uh, hear that. Because knowing that you're here, knowing that you have an interest in mentoring encourages me. I want to tell you two quick, brief stories to get started with today, and this is what they are. A friend of mine asked me just this last week, um, he's come across, off the mission field, very weary. Um, He and his wife have given 33 years, and there's just been some disappointing stuff. These are some of the most priceless, precious, beautiful, wonderful people that you could ever know. And some of their top leadership changed, and all kinds of things started to go the proverbial south. And uh, they've come home, and but are wounded, and hurting um, in some ways. And things didn't work for what they thought they were going, because they were ministering here in this country, and then went there as older people to help care for folks, and it didn't work. You know, basically, even when I was out getting my 10,000 steps of exercise this morning, I thought, man, I want them on my team. They are just those kind of solid souls. And the comment was very casually said, you have to be perfect to mentor, and it stopped me in my tracks because I thought, well, if you do, I'd better turn in my resignation immediately. Uh, not true. I think God wants to use men and women who are willing to be in process. And I am the least perfect soul you've ever laid eyes on yet today. Um, because if you were to know my history, there's stuff in my life that I would not want on the screen and probably a few things in yours, um, you know, whether it's our thoughts or whether it's actions or things that have uh, happened. But by the grace of God, we're here. By the grace of God, we're whole. By the grace of God, we are complete people. Completeness is not what I do. The completeness is what has already happened for us in every way possible. And nobody can be bad enough to be excluded from the kingdom of God. Isn't that good news? That is the good news that's shared in all cultures and countries. And so I said to my friend, you know what? Tell me where you're coming from. And I knew it was from a wounded position. I knew it was from hurting. And as I listened to him, um, my mind went back to another story that I learned way years ago, as I was uh, working with developing what God has led my wife Judy and I to do i 'm married to uh, one wife judy all forty seven plus years, and uh, um, we are having a wonderful year celebrating Judy. She turned seventy in a few weeks and she 's a miracle walking because she had a terrible health crisis about fourteen plus years ago and isn 't even supposed to be here by all medical definition, but if you met her, you'd know I married way above myself, and uh, I just love to hang out with the grace of God through my wife and what's taken place there. But my friend told me a story that he and a friend of his, when they were younger, had gone to a circus, and at the circus, um, they, it was one of these traveling circuses, and his friend's friend had a buddy that worked the circus, and you know, probably when we were kids, if we ever went to a circus, we always went to ray and join the circus, or become a fireman or, you know, Smokey the Bear's helper or whatever kids do and what they want to do. Nowadays, it's, you know, soccer studs and baseball players and all those kinds of things. But they said that, that they were able to observe the backstage getting together of the performance, the afternoon matinee of this circus. And they had the parade, you know, where everybody comes and all the people and it's getting the kids all excited and they're moving around and he says what he didn't realize was that they had these big curtains, that as people would disappear, they'd change costumes, and if they were riding an elephant, they'd hop on a horse. Where it seems like there's a cast of thousands in those parades for circuses, it's the same person, about four times around, different costumes. And in the processing of that, they just, it was kind of wild, watching what happened backstage at a circus. And in the after, between the afternoon and the evening performances, everybody was back, you know, sleeping in their tents or whatever they had. But he noticed as he was taken on a tour of the animal tents that the elephants were not tied down. And here's these big behemoths of, of huge you know, animals. Lions were in cages, tigers were in cages, monkeys were in cages, dogs were tethered. You know, everybody else except the humans and the elephants were tied down. And he began to get curious to find out why. Why is that? And so they found this old European elephant trainer whose family had been training elephants for circuses for a long time. And he says, I've noticed something. You've got these huge elephants in the elephant part of the tent, in the animal tent. And he says, they're not tied down. They could walk away. They could go downtown to wherever they were any time. And he says, how come? And this man and his very, you know, was from Poland or something. I will not imitate any kind of brogues or accents here. But he simply said, um, It's true that elephants never forget, but it's also true that they're not very smart. And in that process of not being very smart, he said, and By this time, he'd guided them outside the elephant tent, and there were two young elephants that had been given birth along the way to female elephants, and they were tied down. They had a big leather strap around their back legs and a chain and <laughs> in the ground. And he even noticed that the stakes and the chains and the elephants were two different sizes of young elephants. And those little elephants were standing there doing this over and over and over again. By this time, the old man, the elephant trainer, had guided them back into the elephant tent. And he says, here's the deal. When we want an elephant to move, and they noticed that there were bigger straps around the back leg, one back leg of the bigger elephant. And he says, we take the strap off And they have been trained to do and follow directions for what we do. Because he said, you see, it's this way. When they're young, we have to break their spirit of wanting to be free and in control. And so we put that chain and that strap around their back leg, and they do this 10, 20,000 times, who knows how many. And he says, after a while, it begins to get the information up through those growing bodies of an elephant to that brain that says you're not going to get away as long as you have the feeling of that strap around your back leg well my friend and his friend they flew off back to home to uh think about that and he says i couldn't get over the thinking of that because how many of us as humans not just elephants have had things happen in our life individuals maybe things repeatedly over and over and over again have happened And we have that sense of some strap around our head, around our soul, around our heart, around our relationships that is not giving us the freedom that we are free. And how do we take that strap away from our soul? What do we do to be free, to be released, to get rid of the feeling that maybe we're no good? To be able to get rid of the feeling that maybe I'm kind of a sham because if people really know who I am or what I think, or what I do when I'm all alone, whatever. And so he said that it just was was hugely impactful to him because we are all tied down in some way. How do we get free? And As I heard that story years ago, I began to put that into what we do with our work, with our ministry of mentoring emerging leaders and of training people to mentor others. As I was telling Terry um, earlier, uh, we work with people in, in the Christian setting, in all kinds of Christian ministry, with, with businessmen who are Christians that want uh, our mentoring process to really be impacting their work. We mentor also, we, we teach in, in what we call, I don't like the secular-sacred divide necessarily, but it's true. But we mentor people, train people to mentor in completely non-religious settings, if I can put it that way. Because as you heard me say last week, we have a core to us. We have a soul. We have an interior world where God lives. We who are Christ followers have invited this Father, Son, Spirit, God to live fully within us. Now, to you who are new, I'm going to just do two minutes of being a heretic, and then we'll get back to it, okay? Okay. Because the rest of the maybe that's why some people didn't come back. They thought I was too much of a heretic or something. I, I, you know, what's really cool? I've interacted with some of you uh, that were here last week. You've sent me emails back and forth, and I've loved the back and forth. Thank you so much for that. It's just been really gracious of you. And, and some of you, some of the people that are not here said, I'm not going to be here. How do I get my notes? And so we're making arrangements with them uh, to do that. But one of the things that I think has been a noble heresy within our thing called Christianity is that we've had a talk about God being first in our life. It's a noble idea. It is incorrect. Because there is nothing in Scripture that says God should have first place. There is everything in Scripture that says God. there's a better place that God wants to be. And that's involved at the core of who we are. You cannot say, when God is going to be at the sole core center of who you are, that that's a first factor. And we talked about that last week. If you're... Quite, if if all of a sudden you're, you know, sucking air because I've said it's a heresy to put God first, we'll talk this next week, okay? I would love to do that with you. And, and to expand it out more, because even today, I think you'll see it. Evan's, I told him earlier, um, I, was, I live up in Parker, and I was able to stay during the first part of the service last week. And I told Evan, I've been munching on what he shared with all of us, um, just so generously from his own heart and from Scripture, as we've been much on it all week long. and It's just been really good for me to have heard God through you uh, in, in this week. And in that process of God not being first, but where do we put him at the core of our lives, we have this look that at the core, there's got to be a creative commitment. And let me... This Father, Son, Spirit God longs to live their life, if I may pluralize God for a moment, God longs to live out through all of who we are. He has created us, each one of us. I mean, I look at you guys, you're a good looking bunch of people, but boy, are you different from each other. Um, it's just, you know, it's amazing when we could line us all up and take a good look at each other. And, you know, some of you, I wish I looked like, but some of you are looking at me and saying, well, I don't want to look like him either. So, you know, there's all of these things that go along. But, it, but as you think about God and you and how God has made you in his image to bear his image in his world. This is not our world. This is his. We get all kinds of grabby and think it's ours and mine. And God has created you and me to bear his image in his world through our uniqueness, even through the crapola that maybe has happened to us. He wants to redeem that. He wants us to live redeemed, as we talked about last week and as the scriptures that I've sent you this week. Scriptures had a lot to do with freedom. For those of you that receive them, for those of you that are here for the first time and I get your email address, I will send you what I sent everybody this last week. But we talked about the fact that there's often a waterline with each one of us. And in this waterline, there's stuff that is hidden, with stuff that we're not proud of, that we don't want anybody to know. But this Father, Son, Spirit, God, as I've talked about, it longs to live his life out through our life. And we talk about life in eight dimensions. We talk about a circle of life. We talk about this God that says, I want, I want all of who I am to be seen in the world through all of who you are. What's your name again? Joanne. Jo-Ann? Okay, Joanne. Punch the button. She's going to be my remote here. So, we have this foundation of a belief system. It is critical to know what we believe to be true. It is critical to know who we are. Who are you? And that if we don't understand who I am and why I'm here to make a difference in the world, we're going to wander all over the landscape of our lives. And that's no fun. I've done my fair share of wandering, it's not a picnic at all. OK, Joanne, one more. So foundational is this belief system at the core. And as you see in the notes that are handed out to you today, um, uh, one of those dimensions is marriage and family. One of these is this statement that says, I, am coming, I come from a family. I have you know, been born into a family. I may be not married. I may be formally married, but I'm still part of a family. Marriage, often marriage produces kiddos. Um, this whole idea of what are we doing when we are part of a family, and what are and if we're married, what do we do with that? Have a precious sister-in-law that uh, you know lost a marriage, and I've just it's, she's just been coming back to life, and it's been so good to see that happen. You know, just f- grabbing a sense of purposefulness again in who she is, and so there's that one page on in your papers there that I've handed out today that helps you think through marriage and family. There's a cheat sheet with just a one page of everything on it. And then there's another page that has marriage and family. And I'm going to want you to do something with that in this next week. So don't lose these papers. Now, what's fun about the, right now is that I have brought you intentional confusion. Because here's the deal. There is no order to these, even though on the on the screen there is going to be an order that we look at them but i have purposefully made the handout not in the lineup that's on the screen that's bad business when you're doing computer work and handouts cuz i want you to experience the fact that their life is not linear as linear as we want to make it this circle is always changing you know if if i'm feeling sick i'm going to pay attention to the physical dimension If I'm, you know, I exercise, I was up pounding the pavement, praying and doing my 10,000 steps this way, that's part of the physical, that was part of the the belief system, that, you know, there's all kinds of things that go into who we are. So I've intentionally upset you already and you are going to be shuffling papers intentionally to remember it's not this, you know, first marriage and family, then something else, then something else, then something else. No, we're talking about a circle here. Okay, Joanne, next one physical health wellness exercise nutrition sexuality what do you do with this physical body it is true what you put you are what you put in i'm at least two cups of coffee this morning already and uh, among other things i had some toast with peanut butter and applesauce on it before i went out and walked and so what do we do with our physical self are we moving i have friends that are crippled and cannot move Coming into town today when I was pulling off of the freeway on Bijou and there was some homeless person just slowly shuffling, pushing with one hand something across the bridge. He only had one arm. I just went, ah. Oh. You know, when I'm coming across, God, this is one of your creations. You know, just, it, it startled me to see him doing it. everything in a shopping cart with one hand, shuffling over the freeway bridge. And um, he's as precious to God as you and me in that capacity. And we need to be understanding that. And so what is the physical dimension of your life? And I'm going to have you doing something with that in this next week. Okay, Joanne? The emotional. You all have emotions. Even people who are stunted in their emotions that say they have no emotions, or they're not going to show any emotions. That is an emotional response. Uh, when you're trying to put a cap on what you're doing with your emotions. And the people that you mentor, here's the deal. You're going to hear me repeat myself. Old men do that, so I'll, I'll use being old here. In mentoring, be willing to go through your own life. Don't be an expert in mentoring. I am not an expert. I'm a practitioner, but I am not an expert. I live by what I'm telling you. There's got to be that coherence, that authenticity. If you're going to be a right kind of mentor in any way, in any kind, if you just mentor somebody for an hour or a year, you need to be as genuine and real and congruent and authentic in who you are. But dear friends, you don't have to be perfect. I find too many Christian leaders who have stumbled in some way. And they'll say, well, I'm done. And I'll say, well, maybe for a moment, but not forever. If we really believe in redemption, what can we do? What can happen? Why, how do we need to forgive ourselves when these things have happened? And all of that pertains to the emotional. You know, how do, how do, we, how do we feel? What are we doing with our feelings? What is the, and, and the, the emotions and intellectual dance together a little bit, but in the emotional, you read what the definition is there in the one single sheet, then you have the longer sheet that talks about and we put it in language that you can read that about yourself very intentionally. Joanne, one more. The social dimension. We are social creatures. We are social people. If my wife, Judy, and I were to give you a look at our life, um, you know, she's a marvelous woman. But, but And this isn't speaking anything against her. Put her in front of more than six to eight people, and it's almost too many. Me, I can handle all of you. Um, not a problem with a, with a larger group. Some people are more extroverted. Judy, some people are more introverted. Honor who a person is. We can grow beyond those things. Sometimes extroversion needs to be tempered. Sometimes introversion needs to be encouraged um, to, to move out there, to take some risks in relationships and so on. But we are social creatures. Who are our friends? What's our leisure, our time out, our play? How are we letting ourselves out of these cages sometimes that we put ourselves in? Okay, one more. Vocational. What are you doing with the waking, working hours of your day? As I said last week very carefully, um, some people will just say, I'm just a, and then they'll fill in the blank. I'm just a this, I'm just a that. The one thing that I don't like is when my Christian sisters say, I'm just a housewife. No. No. That may be part of what you do, being a housewife, whatever that means. But I read an article one time, I think I shared this with some of you, that I read an article where, where a housewife, a homemaker, has to use at least 56 different exquisite skills every day in order to be called one of those. And um, so that's not a justa uh, in, in any way. God does not make justice. He gives you opportunities, talking to Steve about... Uh, where their daughter is, and, and going off to you know, i 'm already envious of their daughter, and i don 't even know Rebecca, but she 's in london, and wouldn 't it be fun to be in london that 's a great town to, to, to be there, But in the processing of that, who are you, and how does God wants to live his life out through your vocation i t teaching, gardening, research, just a mom, just a dad. no. There's, there's, there's interest there in what is your vocation? What is your meaningful work? And that's one of the things to really help people. My friend that's come off the mission field, I spent six hours with he and his wife yesterday helping them think through what's next because of who they are and what God is making of them. And I, they left a little weary because I really put them through their paces in six hours. But hopeful, hope-filled. I got a text this morning, thank you and these reasons we need to be doing meaningful work we are created for work meaningful work talking to steve here again for a second the mom of the guy that i mentioned that has the the denim company um one time said well i don't work and i thought oh honey and she and her husband were on our board so i could get a little familiar with her i said oh honey You don't work. You are one of the most remarkable volunteers in your town in Kansas that I know. Volunteering for two organizations that were dear to her heart and moving things. It was work. Maybe she didn't get paid for it. Fortunately, her husband made enough money so she didn't have to do a job so she could use her exquisite skills helping in a volunteer setting in some very important places in her town. Other places that... People weren't wanting to step in and work with people who are sexually abused severely. That's kind of like, ah, you know, what happened? But bingo, she's a tiger in some of these things. And that's her vocation in that process. Okay, next one. Financial. How do we earn, spend, save, give our money away? Anybody that you mentor, and you as mentor... Money is part of the process of our life. Some people overspend, so they're in debt. How do you help people get out of that? Other people underspend and can accumulate. Some people are going to live simply so that they can live generously. Some people are making enough money so that they can live a little less simply and still live generously. I think God is asking of all of us that we be generous people, even with our finances. And we give so that others can live, so that others can eat, so that others can have water. I mean, there's all kinds of marvelous causes that that are out there. And I want to encourage anybody that I mentor, where are you even giving of your financial resource? Or if you're so twisted in debt, what do you need to do to get out of debt? One of the men on our board of directors up in Denver is probably the finest financial services planner I've ever met. Not just because he's my good friend now. Um, but, but one of his major goals is helping people get completely debt-free. We don't make a ton of money. I've been involved in ministry for 30, over 30 years, going on 35 years. Uh, and I don't know what you're paying Evan here, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's enough. But he could use more, probably. Um, <laughs> most pastors can. Um, But in the processing of that, Steve is able to help us get completely debt-free. And and the feeling of debt-free is unbelievable. And it's hard. And it's hard for some people to even fathom getting there because they're so stacked and loaded with debt. But there are ways to chisel away and accommodate that. And as a mentor, you can help people get out of debt. And are you working at being debt-free? as a mentor doesn't mean you have to be i understand mortgages and da 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 and all the you know I, I call i call a mortgage an essential debt um but don't you know keep getting into debt or don't overspend. some people emotionally spend a lot of money you know there's a there's a one lady that's gone on to be with jesus at this point that i knew about up in denver And some of the guys that I met her from seminary happened to take care of their grounds. She was quite well-to-do. And one time I was over visiting, and he says, I want to show you something. And I don't think she would have liked it, but because she's now with Jesus and knows the truth of everything, we'll talk about her. You don't know who she is. But she had a room probably this size in the bottom of their house that was full of nothing but clothes that she'd purchased and never worn. And the price tags were not... Target. Let me tell you, and it was an addiction that she had to emotionally go through. She had the resources, but what what do you do with that? And in her later years, God got a hold of her life through a marvelous other woman that I know of up there, and she and her husband, who were well-to-do, successful, were able to switch and turn their generosity around in a very beautiful way. I don't know what happened to all those clothes. But you know, probably some Salvation Army or Goodwill store went. Whoa, <laughs> look what's here! And uh, what do you do with that? But I share that with financial. Whether you're well-to-do and God has blessed you with resources, or whether you're just scraping by and you're hoping you can make the car payment next month, it's important for you as mentor to pay attention to that and help the mentees that you're going to be working with. Okay, Joanne. Intellectual i love curious people and i tell people that there is no such thing as a wrong question except the one wrong question is the one you're not asking i'm afraid to ask questions sometimes i think i don't look like a doofus but i'm asking all kinds of questions when we were in Banff, I talked about our last vacation that we had to celebrate my wife's 70th birthday. We were up in Banff, and I talked to a homeless man up there, just very briefly, just to engage him, because somebody said he has lived here all his life. He grew up here, and now he's one of those. He has two hands and two feet, but he's pushing a cart through Banff. If you've ever been to Banff, it's kind of like a junior version of Vale. Vail. Uh, you, you said you're going you to agree with that beautiful little town. First time we'd been there. And uh, it was just great, and, and you know, half of Asia was there, I did know that. Uh, it, was, you know, it was just amazing who, what was going on. Uh, but, but I had it early one morning when I'm out walking, and he's shuffling along, and somebody had told me, a storekeeper, I said, does is that, is that man ply the main street often? And he says, every day, he makes just at least one trip up and back. I says, where does he live? He says, I don't know. And later, I saw the same guy when I was walking through the town early one morning again. He says, he says, you know, I'm glad you asked me questions about him because I found out a little bit more about him. And I just very comfortably said, do people here in BAM care for people like that in some way? He says, I don't know. I'll find out. His next question is, what do you do? Question at me. I said, I'm a leadership mentor. He says, well, i wonder, because he says, you've asked me some questions that nobody has ever asked me. I'll never see the guy again, most likely. But just in a moment of two moments, looking at a man shuffling along in band, would be like somebody shuffling along with a golf cart along Gore Creek in Vale. You know, you kind of go, hmm, this is a little out of step with the surroundings. What do we do with that? But what we do with that is think about it. What we do with that is be willing to ask questions. Now, questions can be overloaded nosy. What's your name? Daniel, Daniel's been very helpful to me. Daniel, I want you to stand up and confess the worst sin that you've ever had in your life. Would you you be willing to do that? (laughs) Sit back down. (laughs) Thank you for being exhibit A. Of course he's not. Will will you please tell us the worst sin you've ever committed? It is none of our business. Now you're all curious probably, but don't tell anybody, okay? (laughs) Okay. You've got friends, you can talk to Evan. He, he lives here. But, but you catch what I mean, some things we just don't need to know. Sometimes I'll say some things, and people will ask me. When I talk about Judy's health, sometimes people will ask me about her being alive for the wrong reasons. You know, they should, one guy told me, just oh, I hate this with our, sometimes our dear Christian brothers and sisters." And he says, "Well, when she had her cerebral hemorrhage and stroke, he says. Were you not praying enough? You know, I won't even tell you what I wanted to do to him. but You can just imagine anything you want to, and it's probably fits. And that kind of a question does not allow life to happen. Does not in any way. But the intellectual, how do we think? How do we think with what we feel? How willing are we to learn to stay curious? How willing are we to explore, to investigate? The best of mentoring, if you read me on Facebook or my Twitter account or whatever, you'll see I often will put something on there, the best of mentoring is. And the best of mentoring, I believe in one way, is is to know how to be intellectually curious, ask questions, and then listen. Do not over-talk. Now, there's a man sitting in the room who I love to pieces, and I have the privilege, I'm not going to embarrass him, so relax. But, uh, but he will tell you, Wes is, he'll probably say, Wes is full of it, and then he'll say, and Wes is also full of questions. Uh, but, I, but I am. I love to ask questions, but I need to be careful with anybody. And I want to be curious, and I want to hold it closely. And I want to know, I want to explore. The best of mentoring is helping people explore and discover. Any fruitful mentoring that you've experienced, somebody has been helping you explore and discover something. Not just telling. I tell people, God, there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. To listen twice as much as we talk. Now that's a corny way to put it. I own it. Thank you, Daniel, for laughing. But uh, in, in the processing of that, we need to be willing to be listeners. And how then do we listen? Next week, I'm going to tell you how to... Or not tell you. I'm going to encourage you to discover how to... got to pr- practice what I preach here. Uh, but I'm going to help you have a, one of the most simple but profound methods of asking questions that you could ever use. It has taken me in conversations, whether it's casual on an airplane the very involved in some of the most deep serious mentoring that I've ever done it's a it's a way of thinking and that's what this mentoring is it's a way of thinking about yourself and others this is not a formula this is not a system that I'm giving to you we are building a mentoring development team god is blessing us with some tremendous growth that I've dreamed about for years and it is happening as people are coming on our our staff, volunteer staff team, as well as our paid staff team, and in the processing of that, I was talking with uh, one of the women who is the uh, kind of second in command of the mentoring program at Denver Seminary. James Martin just finished a master's in leadership up there. Um, I did a master's in counseling years ago with a leader, emphasis in leadership development at Denver Seminary, and uh, Laura is just she's an amazing lady. Anyway, 52 um we have some connection because her mom's fading with alzheimer's my mom went into eternity via that awful route and uh, um, we had lunch on monday and she's a good friend enough that she'll take me to task some people have permission to take me to task and she's one of those and she just said you keep talking about this mentoring model because she's going to be in our she's going to be on our mentoring development team now and i'm thrilled Uh, she says, you keep talking about this mentoring model. She says, when we're talking from the word of God, she says, it's a theology of mentoring. I had never thought of it that way until Laura spoke that to me at lunch. Because this is a theology of mentoring. For we who are Christ followers, for we who believe in this Father, Son, Spirit, God, living at the core of our life, longing to live God's life out through the uniqueness of how we have been created, even with the plus and minus circumstances of our life, it is a way of thinking about who we are, about who God is, and how we're going to let God be known through all of who we are. And intellectual is critical. What do you read? I brought a book, I brought two books, I brought three books, I brought a Bible. Um, last week I talked about this book, so some of you are new, I'm glad I got it. This is a book called The Great Dance by Baxter Kruger. It is the finest book my opinion. Remember, that's limited then when it says my opinion. But this is the finest book ever in regard to the Trinity. This Father, Son, Spirit God, it's the finest book I've ever read. And I've read a lot. It is an amazing book, helping us, me, understand. When I found this book in December, Baxter spoke at a conference that Judy and I went to. I've read it three times since December. Fortunately, it's not big. And uh, it has been one of the most amazing renewals of my life with father son spirit god that i've ever experienced it's been wonderful to read uh do y'all know what yes sir baxter i'm sorry baxter kruger you are welcome to interrupt me anytime so baxter is k-r-u-g-e-r now it's one of those print-on-demand books you can't buy it in a bookstore but you buy it on amazon and it gets whatever that mechanism is it gets printed and sent to you so somehow it happens how many of you have watched a TED Talk, TED.com talk? Okay, if you haven't, you're missing something. Um, they bring some of the finest minds. Help me out here. TED is, is technology, education, and design. Is that what it, good. I want to know who you are. You've, you've, been, you've been right here. I'm, I'm loving it. So, uh, but, but it's, it, they're great. And have any of you uh, know who Brene Brown is? Okay. Have any of you read Daring Greatly? It is a book to read. Because, you know, she's she's in the Episcopal camp down in Houston. um, At Willow Creek, I guess it was two years ago, she was one of the speakers at at the Willow Creek conference. And as she does, wherever she speaks, I've heard her once in person, uh, just kind of brings down the house. She is such a real deal person. And and talks about her spiritual journey in this and, and a couple of her other books. But I am encouraging a lot of, especially transitional adults, people trying to figure out what to do next. Where do we go? Who am I? What do I need to be about? She's just very free. She's a social psychologist, PhD, that has done an extraordinary amount of research for 12 years in the arena of shame and vulnerability. And just amazing writing. I'm reading this again for the second time. And I am, think I'm getting more out of it the second time around than the first one. But I want to think in the intellectual capacity, a lot of them, a lot of people, a lot of guys will say, well, I don't do poetry. Um, but uh, you know, poetry is something to pay attention to. It's somebody's way of, of putting the, the language together in a way that informs our soul. Um, there's a lady, she too is with the Lord at this point because she died of a, of a very ugly disease. Um, and I heard her read this poem about 30 years ago in California when I was at a conference. And I went up, she was you know, just really crunched over from this debilitating disease that she had, but she had one of the most clean, clear, beautiful spirits I've ever seen. Thinking, I mean, her mind was, was going nowhere but up, even though her body was going everywhere but shrivel, I mean, into shrivel. And she said this, and I said, you know, this isn't quite the most manly cover that a guy could have, little pink flowers on a lavender background. But it's one of my favorite books, and I pull it out. You can see I've got them marked. I went through the other day and just marked ones that have hit me. But listen to this bit of poetry by this lady, Ruth Harms Culkin. Lived in Orange County, California. She says, I place my whole confidence in the living God. Now, that's an intellectual pursuit, as well as an emotional pursuit, as well as a belief system pursuit, as well as all of who she is pursuit. I place my whole confidence in the living God. Not because things are going my way, not because I have what I want, not because I understand all the inexplainables. And I read that again the other day when I pulled it off my shelf. I thought, boy, bless your heart. She had that kind of ending of life that was just diminishing her like crazy. Or because I am immune to problems and pain and sorrow. But despite my questions, my reversals, my disappointments, despite my sorrow and tears, I place my whole confidence in the living God. For he alone can see me through. He alone is worthy of my trust. I cannot tell you how many times over the last 25 to 30 years I have pulled this out and read it through all kinds of circumstances in my own life. Because it's truth in poetry to me. So Psalms and Proverbs, if we really want to get spiritual with the Bible here, you know, on on what's happening with poetry. And so the intellect is something to really pay attention to. I'm not asking us to all be PhDs. But I ask us to be alert and alive in how we think and be curious. Ask questions. Joanne? This is one of the more important of all the eight more important dimensions of life that we talk about in this whole circle of life. And in the process of this, are you willing to be creative, innovative, designful, and playful? As I shared last week, Picasso, not necessarily my favorite artist, but Picasso made a comment that all children are born creative. And when they grow up, grow up to be adults. This is a perversion of what he said, but when they grow up to be adults, they forget that. Time, circumstances, stuff. People say, I am not creative. Well, they're comparing themselves to somebody that's you know some whiz-bang artist. You know, Yeah, I'm not Michelangelo. But be creative. My wife would say, I'm not terribly creative. She's one of the greatest hostesses going. She's very creative in how she cares for people. You come to our home spend a night in our guest room. We've had more than our fair share. And I love it when they tell Judy some semblance of this, where they'll say, can I stay another night, even though they can't, you know, they just feel careful because she's creative and innovative and designful and playful with how she cares for people. It doesn't mean artistry. That's what we put creative to. Um, I'm mentoring an artist up in Denver that if you were to look on... uh, www.JakeWeidman, and see him. This is a young man, all self-taught, intimidating, knowing that. It's amazing, but he's using his art for the glory of God. And what he's doing is stupendous in those processes. But creative, innovative, are we willing to be trusting with what we've got, designful? You say, well, I'm not an architect, or I'm you know, not this or that. All of us have creative, innovative, designful, and playful genes in us. What has capped that? What has, from children, what has pushed that down? What has taken place? There's some points in my own story, of my own growing up, that are not good. And and in that, there was parts in my own life where I was really feeling, as a young man, really scrunched down. But God has placed in my life extraordinary, extraordinary. Extraordinary matters to call me out and to be used of God to really set me free in so many ways. And it's just fun to be able to be a 72-year-old man who's creative, innovative, designful, and playful. Goofy. I think that's one of the things that helped. I shared this last week during my college days out in Southern California. um, I had the privilege of working at Disneyland in its early days. And uh, that was fun. And I think that helped me mature and grow up in some ways. People that know me best know I said that didn't help you to grow up. Because I love Disney things. It's just so fun. I go back there. I sit and listen to somebody on the Jungle Cruise. Emotionally, I'm arrogant enough to say I could still do that better than they do. Because uh, I could break in easily. To Welcome aboard the Zambezi Miss folks. My name's Wild West, and I'll be your skipper and guide as we travel down these rivers of adventure. I want you to turn around and wave goodbye to the folks in the dock because you may never see them again. And on and on and on it goes. People say, how do you still remember that? We only did it 35 times on each work shift. It's kind of in there. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. You know, Evan has been gracious enough to, to introduce me in, in these times and you know, and somebody to get me started last week. Every time I stand up for a self-introduction, I'm just... Crazy enough that I want to, you know, no matter what I'm going to be talking about, I want to say, Welcome aboard the Zambezi, Miss Folks. You know, it just <laughs> kind of goes in there. Because every 12 minutes, new crowd. Nine, you know, minute loading, nine minutes of fun, minute offloading, minute what they call dead, waiting for the next crowd. And all of a sudden, you got a, another boat. And uh, it, was one of, it, it was, you know, my. my old college professors don't like to hear me say this, but it was the best part of my college education, working at Disneyland. (laughs) And I think it's helped me to develop into a half-decent mentor. It's helped me to help other people to say, look, stretch, grow. There's things out there. How are you going to use your imagination? What are you going to do with that? This is an important dimension to call people out. But as a mentor, are you willing to be creative, innovative, designful, and playful? You're going to be given some assignments this week, so pay attention to those extra long pages uh, that I've given you. Okay, one more. Here's, there's going to be four words, and I'll, I'll, I'll let Joanne not punch the button yet. All mentorship and the best of mentoring will always have these four categories in mind. I don't care whether it's that 10-minute conversation or... You know, there's there's one man down here in, uh, in fact, I parked over by the Methodist Church. It was interesting. I have mentored him for, since he's 16 and he's 27. So I have mentored him for 11 years. It's from a high school junior up through, performed his wedding over at the Methodist Church. Um, they have a little, you know, married, have a little girl, good friend of ours mutually. And... Um, uh, I thought, isn't it interesting? There's always parking spaces around the Methodist church. Isn't that terrible to say that? But uh, there they are. But in, but in this process, I've watched that guy expand and grow in all of these ways. And, and I don't care whether it's 11 years with our friend or whether it's 10 minutes with somebody. I want to be intentional. I want to be focused. There's an intentionality in the best of mentoring, in being a mentor and allowing yourself to be mentored, being the mentoree. Is there intentionality to it? Not just a casual ho-hum process. I have a man coming today from out of town to spend 48 hours with me. And if it doesn't rain, we're going to do some hiking tomorrow up in Rocky Mountain National Park. That's real intentional. He's a man I met at a conference in December when I first heard Baxter Kruger. And... um, Uh... And We've gotten together a couple of times, and and we've been often on the phone. He says, can I have a chunk of time? A very uh, busy young businessman in his mid-30s. In fact, his birthday I didn't realize until I got on Facebook this morning that his birthday is on Friday. It's kind of fun to sneak a peek at when people's birthdays are on that. But intentional. Every conversation we've had has been intentional, and we're being real intentional, 48 hours. Pick him up at 9 o'clock, Tonight at DIA I drop him off at nine o'clock Tuesday night to DIA to fly back to the western part of the country where he's from. Okay, next one. Intentional. Deep change. Our lives go through seasons. We need to allow our lives, those we mentor, and our lives to go through mentors. There is deep change. When I mentor somebody intentionally, meaning it's more than 10-minute conversation, when we start hanging out together, whether it's via Skype, FaceTime, in person, I am anticipating, I am praying toward, I am wanting to help the Spirit call out, to be used of the Spirit, to call out deep change. We all want to change at depth. If it's re- you know, some of us are scared spitless to do it, to take the journey to be there, but we all want to be deeper. Than we are, I do. There's some times that I just feel like I'm just the cheapest shot to hit the planet. We all want to experience something deep and whole and real in our lives. So intentional and deep change. If you're going to be the best of mentor, when you are talking with somebody, have this in mind. These things I'm sharing with you today are you as mentor as well as mentoree. But we're talking about helping you become mentors here in this marvelous congregation that is further developing here at, at New Life downtown. Intentional, deep change, whole life. I had one friend say, Wes, if you could tell me what you do in one sentence, what would it be? He, and I loved it. I said I would help people be intentional, experience deep change for their whole life. and We'll get to the fourth thing in just a minute. But, but in the processing of that, When I mentor people in all eight of these dimensions, yes, we pay attention sometimes to one or two. In fact, the best of mentoring for me is when people come to see me in person or whether it's the Malaysian Lutheran pastor that I'm mentoring who's getting his PhD in Norway in Christian-Muslim relationships and is going to be going back to teach in the leading Asian seminary in Kuala Lumpur At the end of this year, um, Sivan will send me off of these eight dimensions what he wants to talk about, where he's wanting to talk from. What are the two or three that in the hour, 90 minutes, whatever the length of time we have, it gives us a platform of speaking so that when people can say, here's what I want to talk over 24 hours in advance, if possible, sometimes it isn't, and then sometimes they send me what they want to talk about, and guess what? In 24 hours, life can change. And so they'll say, well, this, I know this is what I sent you, but can we talk about this? Of course we can. I want to talk from where people are. But when a mentoree alerts me 24 hours in advance to what they want to talk about off of these eight dimensions, just one, two, three dimensions, not the whole enchilada, I'm ready. They know this. They know me enough to know that, that what they send me on Tuesday, if I'm seeing them on Wednesday, I have prayed about that early in the morning out on my walk. And it is so good to be lifting this up to the Father and to be able to say, as they walk with you, Jesus, in their life, and as the Spirit begins to unveil and renew things, it's amazing the synergy from the core of me that begins to be ready for when they walk in my office, to be ready for them with all of who I am. And that's what you have the capacity to be able to do as a mentor as well when you're seeking that out. Intentional, deep change, whole life, transformational. When my friend Mike found this slide, he's helping me develop some slides, I just went, Ooh, that's it, when he was at my house the other night. That's, yeah, that's just one of the most beautiful ways of nature can inform us so much. And a lot of times, too many of us are locked in a chrysalis We're just not free. There's some kind of chains or whatever, an artificial chrysalis in a sense it is. But but we are, as you've read in the scriptures that I've sent you guys all week long, you were created to be free. And we've given you a way of thinking about that, free in every dimension of your life. Am I perfect in every dimension of my life? I'm perfect in None of the dimensions in my life. But I am in process toward wholeness because I'm intentionally looking to be a different man next Sunday when we see each other than I am today than I was last Sunday. Sometimes I have bad days. In my 72 years, there are some years I've had bad years. I wondered if the year would stop or, you know, can I just go to sleep and start again this year or this month or some event or some circumstance? But intentional, deep change, whole life, transformational. As a mentor, that is our sacred privilege that God has given us to be investing in other lives so that they can be intentional and experiencing deep change for their whole life and ultimately experiencing the transformation that is critical for them to experience. Is there one more? This is, you, you guys have seen the first one of these. That's Try it one more time, see what we come up with. Ah, there we go. <laughs> A friend of mine, in my desperation, just helped me out Friday night, and he sent this to me last night, and we're all seeing it together for the first time. <laughs> okay, whole life transformational that's the reason i think in circles punch it one more time and what's the process here as a mentor is this now i'm going to talk to you as mentorees for a moment we're not looking at you with that little head you know we're not the center of the universe some of i can pretend like that in my life that i can be the center of the world and some of you can too if you're honest um but in the processing of that here's what i'm looking at for those of you who are longing to be mentors and I hope all of you, God is asking all of us to be mentors. Very, he'll say, well, I don't know if I should be a mentor or not. You already are. If you're influencing somebody, positive or minus, you're, you're, you're mentoring. Whether it's intentional or not, you're influencing. So we have the mentor. here. Let's use you. This is you. Picture you. Okay, next button. Tomorrow, next week, I'll bring my remote, okay? So... What I suggested this, that, that, that you want a mentor. Can, Evan, can I pick on you since we know each sure, other? Okay. You can kick me out later. Or tell me not to come back next week, whatever. Um, so so here's Evan in the center. Or I'll put, put Wes in the center. I'm Wes. I'm looking for a mentor. I'm looking for somebody that can really help me begin to think through life, whether it's an issue that is going to be impacting all of my life. And I find out that... Me- Evan's a pretty good mentor. And so I ask, me in the center asks Evan up there on the top to mentor me. And I tell people, I can be a primary mentor to you, meaning that person. Evan can be a primary mentor to me in that person up there. But I cannot be somebody's only mentor. If we think that we are an only, only ever, I've mentored a lot of people for a long time before bringing other people to bear on what we're learning. But I'm talking about, I'm in the center, I need Evan as a primary mentor. Next button. But a lot of times, people who are being mentored, they say, well, I don't have any mentors. And I'll say, I want to be honoring our time here, so hang with me. Um, That's not true. I just held up three books. We have what I call distance mentors. And then don't punch the button yet. And we have what I call peer mentors. Evan's my friend. I need a mentor. So I have a friend who is mentoring. People go to people for different issues. I've got Gary in Seattle. I've got Steve in Denver. I've got Wes, another Wes in Nashville. These are some of my, what I call on this side of the the circle, peer mentors, people who are go-to, often on, on particular issues, They're good enough friends. They know me. They'll kick my butt when it needs kicking. All of that. And so there's that peer mentor. Okay, punch the button again. And again. We all have people that we can go to. Maybe not as the primary mentor, but we're not without some form of friendship, hopefully. Now punch the button again. And here we have what I call distance mentors. Two more times. Distance mentors that are those who are authors. Now, fortunately, I have just met Baxter, and he and I are talking. I w- doubt that I'll ever meet Brene Brown. But she has mentored me. Baxter has mentored me. I've heard him, and he's broken bread in our home. You know, we've eaten together. I had the privilege of a brief conversation with Ruth in Orange County, a number of years ago, but her writings have mentored me. So films can do that. Television programs, books. What is influencing us? Who is influencing us? And I call those distance mentors. There's peer mentors over here. There's distance mentors over here. Maybe you even have a Darth Man in your life somewhere. Daniel got that, which I like. And and then punch it one more time. Because if... If I in the center there, you in the center there can be searching a primary mentor, but we're not without mentors. We've got peer mentors and we've got distance mentors. You know, C.S. Lewis has been huge to me. Two Catholic authors, Henry and Richard Rohr, huge influencers of my life. Huge, huge. And uh, the responsibility is, I believe, to pass it on and pay it forward. And I want to give everybody something today on your way out the door. It's a reverse offering. Daniel, you can help me with this. I want everybody to ultimately take one of these. I'll take one here. And I want you to put it on your keychain. Because this is to remind you that as a mentor, as well as mentoree, you are to pass it on and pay it forward. Punch the button one more time. If we are going to live whole, complete lives, I believe, within the kingdom of God, if we're going to be Christ followers of of authenticity, intentional, deep change, whole life, transforming people by the power of the Spirit in our lives, when that is taking place, I believe we have a responsibility to pass it on and pay it forward. Okay, do two more, three more punches here. There we go. One of the things that's really important to understand is that there is a, a way of passing it on and paying it forward. Who has influenced you? And then you've been influenced, and who are you going to mentor, and who are they going to mentor? The people, ultimately, that I work with in a mentorship capacity, I am constantly encouraging them to pass it on, to pay it forward. Sooner or later, all of you who are learning to mentor and are being mentored need to mentor. This is the way the kingdom of God moves forward. It's not just the church staff. It's not just the professional Christians. It's you. It's me that needs to be involved in that. I spoke at a, at a meeting in Nashville a couple of years ago and a group of businessmen, and it was just like my friend Wes Yoder, um, who's just one of my dearest, dearest friends in the whole world, uh, set this up for me to speak to a group of his friends, businessmen in Nashville. And it was really funny. Uh, before it began, almost from two different directions in the room, two different guys came at me just like this. And <laughs> we holding their keys. And, this, and I, one of the guys looked familiar. The other one didn't. And I said, okay, we've obviously been around each other somewhere before. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I'd spoken to a church men's retreat In Arizona, out of Scottsdale. And um, I had previously talked to another group years ago in Nashville. And this man came to me. He says, I have not taken this off. And then he told me what God was doing with his life and what was happening. Both of these men did. Guy from Arizona had just moved, heard about this meeting, wanted to come. He said, Wes Roberts, name sounds familiar. And all of a sudden, he thought that as he's putting his keys in the car and to turn it on and all of a sudden this little four link chain showed up and he goes oh yeah that's the guy that spoke at our men's retreat this is reminds me of my of my life focus as a mentor i mentor i want them to mentor and i want them to mentor and obviously it's not five six twenty nine links here but there is something about will, being willing to encourage the generational process of growing forward and moving forward in our lives. I want to leave one portion of scripture here with you, and I want to tell you what I would like you to do with this. Two or three years ago, my friend that I've met her since he was 16 uh, took me to a bunch of guys, his friends, his buds in Chicago, and... Um, I gave those guys an assignment to just take eight words out of Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. And I asked them to spend an hour taking that particular sentence apart by reducing it by one word every time, just to write, Be still and know that I am God. What does that mean to you? Be still and know that I am. What does that mean to you? Be still and know that I am. And this is what came out of it. I would encourage you to spend some quiet time two or three times this week just meditatively thinking through this to help you at the core of your belief system in your relationship with God. One of the men uh, put that together and I asked him if I could pass it on to others. But let me share with you what scripture and then we can scoot on to church and our day and what we need. And I hope you're going to put that chain on your keychain and be back here next week on time because we're going to bring some conclusion to this that I hope will boost you into being the mentors that God has created you to be as well as the mentorees who are willing to let somebody walk with you into your future. And it's Colossians 1. I'm reading from the message. I love the fact of the variety of Bibles that you guys read from. I really like that. And again, I want the email addresses of some of you that I don't have so I can send you further emails this next week but listen to this this is paul writing to the church at Colossae, and he is saying this towards the end of chapter one what we call chapter one of colossians the mystery in a nutshell is just this christ is in you christ is in you this father son spirit god is in you christ is in you therefore you can look forward to sharing in god's glory It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard at day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. If anything is kind of a clarion call to mentorship, I love those last verses of scripture from about verse 25 or so on down of Colossians 1. It's an honor to be here to encourage you forward. It's a lot of blah. You know, it's felt like I'm shotgunning you and we're in a longer workshop. We only fire silver bullets, so I'm not shotgun. But I hope you're taking this. And that's the reason I want to stay with you in this in between this week and next and even the week after to help you think through How is God calling you to be a mentor? Because he is, I believe, or we wouldn't be having this conversation. So go in God's peace and we'll see you next Sunday.